Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, September 9th installment of the Silicon Insider, the only uncensored look at life and business in the Valley. My name is Mike Malone, and I'm here with special contributor Scott Budman, technology reporter for NBC. Our producer is Jordan Henderson. Our East Coast correspondent is Bob Grove. And our host, as always, is the Silicon Valley Business Journal. Okay, so welcome back. You missed, you. you missed the heat wave. You hit on the East Coast for the entire duration of it. Yeah, it was amazing to, uh, you know, walk down the street and say, gosh, it's a little humid here. And then check, you know, the temperature, check Twitter. And it's just, it's like amazing how hot it was here. And uh, yeah, um, it's it's now as we speak, uh, forecast to be a high of something like 95. And Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. You're going to suffer while we're going to be up bathing in this. It's going to be so nice after 108, 110. It was breathtaking. It was truly breathtaking. It was like being in Death Valley. So, wow. That okay. Is- so Apple, Apple had their big event and they did it online again. Yeah. They're the last couple of times they've done it where they have journalists and, you know, assorted fans there at headquarters but then they, you know, have a quick Tim Cook introduction and then roll tape. And so you really don't have to be there to get the experience because the experience is, I mean, let's be honest, you're kind of watching a commercial for Apple products. The visuals yeah. are great. Everything looks perfectly. It looks perfect and everything works perfectly, which remember part of the fun through the years. The stuff, of was, the- the stuff wouldn't work. It would fail every once in a while. Right. Vamp. Yeah. I, mean, I was... Part. Yeah, and and that's how these, remember, all the other companies decided they had to copy Apple with their live events. And so I remember, you know, as if it was yesterday when Steve Jobs was on stage begging us in the audience to turn off our Wi-Fi because there wasn't enough Wi-Fi for him to run an event. I remember these things just sort of crashing and burning during the live demo. And of course, the, the culmination of all this is Elon Musk throwing rocks through the windows, you know, shattering the windows of the cyber truck in the front and then deciding, hey, let's see what the back window does and doing it again. And those are the things that I miss. And I wonder, Apple is clearly confident enough to have people back, not only outside, but inside. And so say what you will about that, but their COVID concern is not nearly what it was. They're also asking people to come back to work now. Um, And yet we're still getting these videos instead of a live demo and I, I just i don't like it as much obviously for many many reasons maybe america will never heal until apple again has a live event that's what we need a spontaneous <laughs> live event to show us a phone and a watch yes uh and it's it's now announced that russians can buy the apple 14. oh okay wasn't i see there, what you mean. wasn't there an embargo or something i remember reading about that a few months back Maybe I was misled. Uh, I think there was a lot of the stores shut down. And I think we're starting to see some of the businesses come back. And it's, I mean, not to get too political, it shows you how incredibly long the conflict in Ukraine, the war in Ukraine has lasted. Uh, I saw someone post just the other day, if Putin knew then what he knew now, would he have even invaded? Remember, he expected this to take a very short period of time. Right. And his invasion was thwarted by Ukrainians. It turned into a a much uglier, deadlier conflict. And the globe is still paying for it. But the question is, how much is Russia still paying for it? 
Um, and, uh, you know, they're obviously a close society, but it's interesting to see how much their citizens are paying for this invasion uh, still on a, on a business level, not to mention the loss of lives. Uh, it'll be interesting if Apple is reopening the doors to everybody else. You know, we had an awful lot of store. I've never seen pictures of stores in Moscow shut down every other one. Right. And they start opening up again saying, well, Apple's doing it. Or does the Apple store reopen or do the Russians just order this off of Amazon RU? I don't know, but there are global pressures, as there always are, on a company like Apple. And especially if you look at China right now, because of their COVID concerns, they're you know keeping people locked down. Their economy is in shambles right now. And Apple phone sales have been dropping in China, and they need to hit these other countries. And I wonder if that will lead the company to be more open uh, in, in other places because of the slowdown in China. And you know, as we get into what Apple announced, I noticed they kept their prices the same for the new iPhones, the new 14s, as they were last year, which is a nod to, hey, we know you're all you know struggling under this, this still blanket of inflation, and uh, they're not raising their prices, which is probably a good move heading into this holiday season. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of that in other places, too. Uh, Google just announced they're looking at cutting back 20% on their costs. Well, when you talk a number like that, you're not really, you're maybe talking about cutting, closing a few buildings, but that usually means personnel. Right. So is Google heading into a layoff? Any rumors on that? Well, yes, but there are only rumors, but it's because uh, Sundar Pichai is saying he needs to cut costs. And that's what we were waiting for. It's been a gradual trickle when it comes to layoffs. We've seen some of the companies, Coinbase, uh, Snap recently laying off a large portion of its workforce. But yes. for a lot of the large companies like Apple and, and Meta and all that, um, they've had these really stern meetings where the CEO is saying, we need to cut costs. We can't be as flamboyant and benefit rich. Uh, and that's sort of a, you know, generally a precursor to layoffs. Yes. Um, and we haven't gotten there yet, but we're waiting. You only, and get, the, you only get the free lunches during good times. You know, they, they, they fire the sous chef uh, uh, when, th when the economy starts to go down. Right. And they recently, you know, had closed everything. And so their profits were up and partially perhaps because they weren't giving away these free meals and maybe the company's bottom line, you know, bean counters got used to that. And again, there's sort of this talk of austerity out there, but it hasn't really kicked in yet. I, uh, I worked for a while inside of Google. I was writing a book and Google offered up some facilities. Google London, right across from Victoria Station. And they had so many freebies. I watched one day, I was busy working on this book and a bunch, bunch of employees came in on a Sunday on their bicycles. And I thought, wow, they're coming into work on Sundays. They came in and filled their backpacks with free food and then rode off into the night. And I thought, well, I wonder how long this is going to last. Apparently, it, it's slowly going away. And I bet it goes away pretty quickly very soon. On Snapchat, they laid off 20% of their employees. Right. I mean, look at Snapchat's stock price. I would say look at their bottom line, but their bottom line has always been pretty ugly. This is a company that loses a lot of money, um, even when they're hot and investors really like them. 
And during the pandemic, uh, investors really liked Snapchat, like they liked a lot of software slash networking plays. Um, and it is a way, especially for young people, to have stayed in touch with friends. And I get that. But uh, Snapchat was riding high for a while, but they just can't execute well. They come out with these cool products, whether the specs or the drone, and it just doesn't catch on. And I I don't quite know what this company needs to do differently. It's sort of like when you look at Twitter, a company that's necessary and in the culture, and yet they can't seem to make a whole lot of money. Snapchat is similar, and they were growing and growing and growing while losing money, and then austerity hit them hard. And a lot of those layoffs, obviously, are in Southern California, where the company is headquartered, but we're starting to see them up here in the Bay Area as well. I think it's just begun. I mean, you and I both have same leading indicators on when a company's in trouble. Snap just lost two of its senior executives to head over to Netflix. I'm not sure that seems like a go, you know, out of the frying pan into the fire career move, but okay, that it's a sign that you know the the top talent at at Snap is is bailing now. So I, uh, you know, this could be this could be a very rough winter for them. Well, and look, yeah, it's interesting that a, a company like Snap, which is not yet mature, but it is public and it's obviously struggling. You can see why people are heading for the exits, but they're going to Netflix. Netflix is going to be around for a long time. They're not going anywhere as opposed to saying, okay, we gave it some time here at Snapchat. Now let's go to the next startup. And that's a sign too, because what struggles during times of inflation and austerity? Startups. It's hard to get a whole lot of funding when VCs are closing the purses for a bit. And I think that may also happen if this sort of miasma of un, you know a lack of confidence still uh, per pervades here in Silicon Valley. But you never know. We had a couple of really strong weeks where chip companies got stronger. Anything to do with the environment and EVs got stronger because of you know government intervention. A ton of chip stories today. I mean, th yeah. things are moving in that market. Right. Um, and then let's go finally Meta. I mean, uh, CNBC uh, reported yesterday that a whole bunch of websites are starting to drop their Facebook button uh, over privacy issues. And, you know, and Meta, Facebook with their usual, you know, ham fistedness also began, their censors are now going onto comments pages and saying, you know, that's actually not correct. And, you know, if you, if you're really interested in privacy, that's, wouldn't that be like, you don't want to you you don't want to lose all this this access. Why would you sick your censors on the people that are making comments and invading their privacy? I mean, it, I don't it just know. Facebook doesn't always makes weird, stupid steps. Yeah, I mean, this is a company that really can't get out of its way, and you can't have a conversation with Facebook and privacy in the same sentence unless it's a negative conversation. You just can't, and that's what I wonder about this whole metaverse thing. Is, is it yet another platform to take your data when you're unaware that your data is being taken and used and monetized? And um, I mean, Facebook meta just can't get out of its way on this. And um, everything it does is a stumble. We're still calling it Facebook, for goodness sakes. I, mean, I know, I know. The transition to meta has been awkward and difficult. Um, and well, we also had Zuckerberg admitting on Joe Rogan that the FBI came and talked to him and said, you're not going to cover, you know, Hunter Biden's laptop. It's like, wow. Okay. So almost all of our fears about how, you know, the relationship between the government and these giant social networking companies now, particularly Meta, is true. 
everything we feared is actually true. Right. This I can't mean, be, you know, lifting. No, I mean, and there, there is a, a sort of a dark history there. You used to be concerned that the government, specifically, say, the NSA, was going to violate your privacy. Now, an even larger fear, because it's more insidious, because it comes candy-coated, is the fear that Facebook or Snap or any of these companies, TikTok, woo, uh, are going to, you know, take your private data and do things that you have no idea what they're doing with it. And that is, I would say, if we're educating anybody at all on social media, that should be step one um, yeah. and lesson one. And uh, I get it, young people aren't that worried, but then they grow up and get worried when they're already in the system. So we really need to do a better yeah, job about educating. Your trail of information they've given up. As for TikTok, TikTok isn't stealing your private data. It was created to steal your private data. I mean, they're they're the absolute embodiment of lack of privacy. Okay, your favorite person, the woman you spent a year with on a daily basis, yes. Elizabeth Holmes. <laughs> okay, this is crazy what happened this week. T tell us about it. You're, you're, you, you've been so close to the trial and everything else. Yeah, yeah, and I've stayed close to this story. It's a bizarre week in, in Holmes' world. Um, she had previously tried to file for a new trial, you know, and and yes, we re we all heard that one a while back. That was a while back, and yet her sentencing is still scheduled for mid October this week. Two separate filings for new trials within, I think, a forty eight hour period. The first one very bizarre. Um, just a little bit of background. One of the uh, fairly long lasting lab directors at Theranos uh, is a man named Adam Rosendorf. Um, South African speaks with that sort of British sounding accent. So he comes across very intelligently on the stand. And he was on the stand for a long time in the Holmes trial, going through bit by bit with all the lab data. And he also, by the way, was outed at the end of the Holmes trial as a very early source for John Carreyrou of the Wall Street Journal, as Carreyrou wrote Bad Blood. His name was disguised, Rosendorf's, in Bad Blood. And John Carreyrou tweeted out, yes, my source was Adam Rosendorf. So this is really the guy that took Elizabeth Holmes down. All of a sudden, we switch forward, what are we now, nine months after the verdict. And a report comes out that Rosendorf, disheveled, out of sorts, shows up at Elizabeth Holmes' front door saying he regrets what happened during the trial. And he was, I don't know how you can say misquoted when you're up on the stand, but saying he regrets what happened. He regrets his testimony and she was not treated fairly. So bam, they file for another trial saying somehow Rosendorf regrets what he did. I have no idea. And I'm thinking that doesn't mean we're going to get a new trial. <laughs> then she files a day later for another new trial saying the information that came out in Sonny Balwani's trial, you know him, yes. showed that he was very involved in Theranos. And her side, her lawyers, are now saying, hey, if we knew during the first trial, the trial of Elizabeth Holmes herself, that Balwani was so involved, it may have saved Holmes from some of the guilty verdicts. And I, again, who knows what to make of this? It sounds desperate. Her lawyers are still working hard nine months after the verdict and making a ton of money, I can only imagine. And she is now one month away from sentencing. So, you know, you decide how. Did Rosendorf get a blood test immediately after making his, you know, confession on her doorstep? Apparently I mean, not. Curious. I mean, was this 5 a.m., maybe 4 a.m.? It's it's a scene from a, a bad movie 
where, you know, if it was John Cusack holding up a boombox, it's romantic. If it's the lab director knocking on the door, it's just sad. And I, I again, I, I can't imagine that this would sway the judge. So far, it has not. She actually right. did make an appearance in court last week. Um, and so far, it has not led to either a new trial or a, you know, reversal of the verdict. And by the way, this judge, Judge Davila, really took his time during this trial um, and when I asked my lawyer friends about all of the step-by-step -step things he did, they said he really wants to avoid any mistakes or any chance that this can be looked back on in a bad way. And so I, now they're trying to do just that. Yeah, and this this notion, oh, we've learned new things. Sonny Balwani was a bad guy in all this. That's kind of a, that's, that's chutzpah. I mean, they, that's all they did was present him. Uh, you know, as the evil, you know, manipulator, the Dr. Mabuse of the entire operation. How can they make the a point where, because they were so estranged, Holmes and Balwani, they had to have two separate trials on the taxpayer's dime with the exact same charges. And that surprised me in the very beginning. Um, I, you know, I've had people come up to me on the street and say, uh, and I realize this is a different thing, but they said, gosh, when I was in divorce court, I had to sit next to that bastard, you know, and I said, well, I think this is a little different, but two separate, two separate trials because they were so uh, estranged at loggerheads. Uh, okay, uh, let's get into Elon Musk. This is interesting. A Delaware court denied his request to delay the trial, but they're allowing that Twitter whistleblower to give testimony. What is this, what are the implications of this? I mean, that, that that whistleblower essentially said everything Musk has said. The numbers are phony. And now they're going to let him talk. That's interesting. Right. And and that's the court being a little more open to, to things like this. But at the same time, remember some of their earlier statements said that Musk's, um, I guess, requests were actually, you know, foolhardy and, and bizarre. And they, they sort of put him in his place. Uh, the Delaware Chancery Court, for whatever reason, and again, I'm I'm not going to pretend to know much about the law here, but it's known as uh, really strictly narrowly, narrowly, uh, you know, focusing on business. And right. people on the, I guess, the Twitter side of this uh, are saying, "Hey, Musk signed a contract to buy the company for forty-four billion dollars, and you know, if he gets out of this contract, what good is a contract? Period. That's sort of what I'm hearing." The buzz on the street in a lot of Silicon Valley places, um, yeah, you know, a lot of the venture is gives the right testimony. Musk has 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 a case that he received false information on the contract, so the deal is void. If that's the case, right? I guess if during the process of his due diligence, Twitter lied, I guess that voids a contract. But I I don't know. I mean, really, he's starting to. To grasp things, they say he didn't do deal, due diligence on all of this before he signed on. I mean, I'm so intrigued by this because the court of chancery is so weird. I mean, they're very narrow, but they're, it's also apparently kind of like a cocktail party too. Everybody knows each other. All the lawyers, the judge, they all go out for you know a burrito during lunch. I mean, it, it seems really interesting, very, very medieval almost. Yeah, and one of the reasons the, the case is getting so much attention and interest here in Silicon Valley is sort of the, you know, the, the damned if you do, damned if you don't. You know, if you're inside of Twitter right now 
you're looking at a pretty decent premium if Musk has to buy the company for $44 billion or make good on the difference. There's something like yeah, an almost $12 billion Christmas. difference right now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're going to make out like a bandit. Right. On the other hand. The economy. I mean, even better to get the money now. Right. But on the other hand, do you really want Elon Musk to run your company when he has at least in recent statements, say, you know, I, I have no desire to do this. I mean, who wants that? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it, it's a, as with everything Musk related, it's, it's gotten bizarre and it's paying a lot of lawyers, a lot of money. And once again, October, you know, October is going to be a really interesting legal month. You have the home sentencing scheduled. You have probably more um, appeals from homes coming. And then you've got the, uh, the chancery court with Twitter and Musk. Maybe you could show up on Elizabeth Holmes' doorstep, disheveled, and beg her not to keep this thing going. It's taken up too much of your life to this at this point. Yeah, that'd probably be a bad look for. Uh, for right. uh, also, Musk is uh, he's breaking ground on a new what ten billion dollar lithium refinery operation in Texas. He's really making the move in Texas now. Yes, and making the move in this lithium area that people are saying, you know, one of the, the things that people started to question during this last week of heat and, you know, pressure on the energy grid in California is, okay, we're going to go, uh, you know, green energy, we're going to go um, electricity versus, you know, the dirtier gas, which was better than the dirtier coal, and we've got to get to that point in renewables. But one of the things we really do need to do is expand the power of the grid so we can handle all this stuff whether it's because of heat or because more of us will be charging. And so I think um, what Musk is trying to do is sort of take a little bit of control a la, you know, via Tesla saying we can come up with some of these materials on our own because we're going to need them to build more EVs as California and, and the country hopefully can build out the grid to create more power and more power sources uh, via renewable energy and and the electricity that that you know Governor Newsom and the state aims to do. Uh, yeah, I mean it wasn't lost. The irony wasn't lost on Californians when we were told that we were all going to be in EVs in ten years. But don't charge your electric car this week <laughs> because it's too much pressure on the grid. California right, we need more sources. Right? This circle some way, whether it's nuclear whether it's more dams, whether it's something, but obviously the grid <clears throat> cannot handle the number of Californians we have right now. Now, it's interesting, the governor mentioned that we have the largest use of, of home batteries in the country. And I think that might be part of the solution. And, and obviously who builds you know the most popular one of these batteries? Elon right. Musk, Tesla. So right. he's got himself in a pretty nice position. Right. And he was, I mean, to his credit, ahead of the game when it came to both electric cars and renewables in general, um, right. as were the solar companies. And um, with the Inflation Reduction Act, which was largely uh, you know, a, a green type bill, you saw a lot of these companies, the solar companies, the EV companies, the charging companies, uh, get a boost and get more attention on them. And I think with that attention comes pressure, like, hey, we need you guys to deliver because we need more ways to stay afloat energy-wise during right. these times of, uh, you know, whether it's extreme heat or just, hey, we need to charge our, our future EVs. Uh, you know, California has to step up its game. And I think that's going to happen because there is this financial incentive for it to happen. Right. 
Uh, one last thing on Elon. I mean, this guy's hitting on all eight cylinders here. Uh, NASA just awarded SpaceX a $1.43 billion contract for five more astronaut missions uh, to the International Space Station. Now, yeah, I, I, I want let me tell you a real quick story. I was on a plane with Elon flying to England uh, over the North Pole, and we're looking at the Aurora Borealis. He's talking about his plan, this is 2006, I think. He, he and I were talking about his plan that he was going to take over for NASA supplying the International Space Station. And that was one of these Buck Rogers moments where you go, yeah, you're, you're going to build, you're going to be going to the space station and back. And also you're planning on going to Mars. Right. And here we are. I mean, the one thing about this guy, he throws out these crazy visions. And then he pulls them off. Right. Uh, you got to get him, give him that. I mean, he's a, he's been doing some wacky stuff the last few years, but he's moving forward on all these fronts relentlessly. So, you know, kudos to him for that. Right. And isn't that one of the concerns about the whole Twitter thing to come back to that is that that's a distraction yeah. for moving forward. Um, I mean, Twitter's already here. We already use it. It's our utility, especially those of us, let's say, on the journalism side. It's very necessary, a good source for news, but it's established. Um, yeah. And if Musk focuses all its attention and stock sales on that, is he not focusing on renewable energy and, you know, the space station and things that are, are in our future? And I think that's one of the concerns. Well, worse than that, he's not a people kind of guy. That's you know, and, and Twitter is intensely human and messy and, you know, the media and cranks and movie stars, you know, and every time you see him going into, you know, turning off into that world, it goes bad for him. When he's talking about building stuff and advancing technology, it goes well. I mean, I don't see the Twitter thing, if even if he if he gets out of it, good. If he stays in. I don't see it working out for him, not just the financial side, but the personal side. It's just not his way. He's not that kind of a personality. I agree. Okay, real quick, because we're going to run out of time. We've been talking on, there's a lot of stuff. Chip business. Wow, the stock market's tanking. The chip business is going great guns. As we're speaking, Intel is breaking ground on its new Ohio fab. Um, $15 billion or something like that. President Biden's going to be there, you know, because he was part of the move to support the semiconductor industry. So Intel's now on its way. Meanwhile, Micron is going to put $15 billion to build memory factory, a memory manufacturing factory in Idaho. Uh, NVIDIA, the U.S., eases restrictions on NVIDIA after banning its AI chip exports to China. So I think the, you know, Washington decided, yeah, we really don't want to crush the hottest chip company on earth right now. Let's lighten up a little bit. And then um, we have Qualcomm. Uh, Qualcomm and Meta struck a deal to make custom virtual reality chips for the metaverse. Now, Qualcomm typically makes really smart business decisions. What are they doing in bed with Meta right now? Uh, I mean, this, this is so uncharacteristic of Qualcomm. 
well, look, they're going to make a pile of money being in bed with Meta, but it's interesting. You know, I'm a critic of the metaverse largely because it's just not ready yet and because of the privacy concerns. But you said it yourself, Qualcomm makes good business decisions. Qualcomm is the reason Intel is struggling because Qualcomm was very early in the mobile world. That's why Qualcomm, you know, executives or millionaires and billionaires, Qualcomm did it right. Qualcomm did it early. And if there's one thing that gives me any confidence whatsoever about the metaverse now, it's that Qualcomm is stepping up to the plate because you're right, they just win. Um, that said, it's a good time for chips. They've been facing headwinds for a few years now. They've got tailwinds from the government. They've got tailwinds from Wall Street. They've got tailwinds from these big companies and, and the EVs. Everybody needs chips right now and we can't get enough of them. That's a concern. But boy, when you are the bell of the ball, people are going to find a way to throw money at you. And I think that's what's going on here, both on the government and the private level. Well, good for them. You know, I, maybe we'll get the metaverse. I'm not sure I want to ever visit there, but, you know, if, if, if Zuckerberg can pull it off, you know, we'll see. But it may not happen in our in your. It'll be in your life, not in mine. Uh, Okay, finally, last bit of news. While you were touring ivy-covered walls on the East Coast with your youngest, uh, did you read that story about Colorado? They had a heat wave too. Mm. And if you if you signed up to get a home thermostat, an electronic home thermostat to you know keep control over your power usage, um, the 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 company providing it would give you a special subscription deal and people didn't read the bottom line which was that thing's controlled remotely that thermostat and they could turn it up anytime they chose to because of power needs well apparently twenty-two thousand people uh discovered on a 90 degree day in Colorado that their thermostat had been remotely turned up on them. And they were, you know, crazily trying to dial that thing back. And it was listening to Mr. Bluetooth out there. And they sat and sweltered in the heat uh, with no control over their lives. You know, it seems to me that the quality of life inside your house should probably stay in your hands rather than turning it over to a power company. I mean, we Californians know never to trust PG&E, but I think in, in Colorado, they got a little lesson. I mean, I've said this, I've been on this soapbox for years about tech companies and their devices. And we'll say it about the government. Sometimes they find a way into your home without you knowing it. Sometimes you open the door and put out the welcome mat. You just have to be careful and skeptical. And even if you leave out the welcome map, they're like the guests <laughs> that overstays its welcome. Read the and fine so, print, everybody, yes, before you always, allow its gadget always. in your home. Yes. Uh, that's it for now, folks. You can find us on the Silicon Valley Business Journal homepage, as well as on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Have a great weekend. Scott, welcome back. I will probably be talking to you next week from the beach in Oregon. Ah, very nice. Enjoy. Take care. Bye-bye.